We're going to be in Ezra. So today it'll be finished the work. And then next week we'll be in uh, Ezra again. And that will be follow the plan. <laughs> so finish the work and just giving y'all a heads up. Um, next week, follow the plan. Now, the second sermon didn't even come to me until this morning. <laughs> I was reading in Ezra. I was like, oh, we're going we gonna to finish this some more. You know, but today, uh, finish the work. And it kind of set us up for uh, some visitors we're having. Da- Damon Connolly's going to be with us. Well, first, Jamie Trussell will be with us on the, golly, what, the 15th. And then Damon Conley will be with us on the 22nd. So we'll celebrate, you know, like anniversary time stuff. Uh, and I talked to several people who are coming to worship with us on the 15th. So I pray everybody be here. I pray everybody be here on the 22nd. You know, pray people be here every month, every every day. You know, every you know you can come early, <laughs> just camp out. Um, but let's go ahead and jump in Ezra. Ezra chapter four. It would be imperative that you look at the NLT so you can follow along. Uh, if you don't look at the NLT, it'll be all right, but it'll it'll make it it'll help it make more sense. Thanks, Mike. Um, Ezra chapter four, verses one through five, and then we're going to jump down to twenty-four. So you just go to your vi- devices and look at Ezra chapter four, verse one through five, and then verse twenty-four. And when you have it, stand to your feet. If you can stand, no, you know I understand. Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 24. And I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. Everybody got it? Everybody good? I'll wait on you if I need to. Ezra chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, and then verse 24 in New Living Translation. I want to make sure everybody is, 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 is rolling with us. Everybody good? All right, here we go. It says the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. So they approached Zerubbabel. You want to name one of your kids Zerubbabel? (laughs) And other leaders and said, let us build with you, for we worship your God just as you do. We have sacrificed to him ever since King Asherdon of Assyria brought us here. Think about that, Astrodon, all these names, they're wild. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, not Joshua, but Jeshua, and the other leaders of Israel replied, you may have no part in this work. We alone will build the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, just as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us. Then the local residents tried to discourage, somebody say discourage, and frighten, somebody say frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. Verse five, they bribed agents to work against them to frustrate their plans. Somebody say frustrate. This went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. Verse 24, so the work of the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped. Somebody say stopped. And it remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. You may be seated. I was I was in my own personal devotional time on July 19th. It was either the 19th night or the 20th morning. And this text jumped out at me. I was reading the book of Ezra. And I was like, that's it, Lord. 
gosh, like that. That's it. Uh, because I was thinking about August and, and, and how do we how do we launch out into this anniversary season? Right. Uh, but just to give you guys just some context. So we're, we're at the Children of Israel. Um, they are just now being released from a 70 year Babylonian captivity. Some of they've been in slavery. 70 year Babylonian captivity. And if you ever read the book of Jeremiah, um, that is who he's addressing then. And he's telling them, look, that after 70 years, y'all and myself, we're going to be released. So when we get to Ezra, it's picking up at the release. So that's what he had prophesied about it. And you can imagine what happened in 70 years. Folks died. Folks got married. People had babies. So some people didn't get to see it. Some people got comfortable because in Jeremiah, he says, plant, take care of the land. You be a blessing to the land, I'll bless you. Right. So now here is this decree that came from King Cyrus. And if you read Ezra chapter one, verse one, it says that he gave a decree. The king wrote a decree. And when kings write decrees, they can't be changed. God moved upon Cyrus's heart of Persia. And he said, I'm letting y'all go back to Jerusalem, just like the prophecy said, to go rebuild your temple. The first temple had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had taken the children of Israel, put them in captivity because of their sin. We, we follow me? Everybody follow me? 70 years in Babylonian captivity. The prophecy comes through Jeremiah. Here's the prophecy being fulfilled. They're being set free. They're going to Jerusalem to go rebuild the temple. They're going to rebuild a second temple for the Lord. Okay? Matter of fact, in this same decree, King Cyrus said, I want everybody who is a neighbor of the Jew to contribute to the rebuilding process. Financially, that is. He, he was talking about the non-Jews. He said, he, he, he said all throughout the region, wherever Jews are, I want you guys to contribute to the rebuilding financially <laughs> of the second temple. All right. That, 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 that is awesome. Now, not everybody was supportive of this process. Imagine that. Somebody telling you the decree, you got to support build this temple. Right. It sounds cool in theory, but. Not everybody was generally supportive of that of this process. And we see that when we get to Ezra chapter four. Everybody with me? I'm, I want to walk this thing out so it makes sense. So now we're in Ezra chapter four. And when we get to verse one, it says the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple to the Lord. And this is what the enemies say. Hey, 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 let, let, let us build with you for we worship God. We worship we worship your God, is what they said. He said, let's build with you, for we, we worship your God. Now, they didn't say we worship God. That's a key point. They said we worship your God. Not God, but we worship your God. And the leaders who were in charge of this building process were not ignorant theologically. Because that's a big difference. Worship your God, worship God. And they might have missed it if they did not understand and if they themselves did not worship the true God. Let me give you some context. The people that were their enemies were Samaritans. And you would see if we if we go fast forward to John, when John uh, writes about Jesus at the at the well, he's talking to the woman at the well, that Samaritan woman at the well. Before that, he says, I have need to go through Samaria. He runs to, into a woman at, at the well of Samaria. He talks to her about how she'd been married to all these men. They, 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 they were Samaritans, right? And when he says this in John chapter 20, John, John chapter 4, verse 20 through 22, he's talking to this woman. She says, hey, our, our fathers worship in this mountain. And, and Jesus tells her, you worship, 
you, you, you don't know what you worship. You don't know who you worship. And she's like, our fathers worship in this mountain. He's like, she's like you, you don't know what you worship. Well, one day everybody's going to worship in spirit and in truth. You don't know who you worship. Because that God that they talked about worshiping as the Jewish God was in addition to many other gods. So, so when we get back to Ezra, this is who we're dealing with. People that were worshiping one of many gods. Man, have you all ever heard of something called syncretism? It's a big word. Syncretism. You might not have heard that. But you might have heard about this word right here, interfaith. Make it make more sense. You ever heard of coexist? Right, right. That's syncretism. So whenever you see the coexist stickers on the back of people's car, that, that is syncretism. That is interfaith. That, that, is, that is people trying to, to mesh all of the religions together and say, we just, we just won. We all believe in the same God. But it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of various forms and religions and cultures to fit whatever somebody likes. That, that's, that's syncretism. And on the outward uh, appearance, it looks like it unifies people of different faiths and different religions, but it's actually confusing and mixing up theological ideas. Y'all follow me? This is who he's dealing with. So, so let me make it more, make, make it make more, even more sense. Right? So what if, what if every month I had a Muslim come preach? What if every month I had a Hebrew Israelite come preach? What if every month I said, I'm gonna have a Rastafarian uh, come preach who worship Harris Selassie? Or what if every month I had a seven-day Adventist come preach? It would be kind of confusing, right? Right. Some people would think, man, that's pretty cool. Because they would think, man, this guy, he, 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 he is, he's open to different religious views. But then there would be another group of people who have theological doctrine, a solid foundation. They would say, that man has lost his mind. That he's bringing confusion into the living world. He's bringing confusion into the house of God because something is going on that don't make sense. And it would hinder the building process of Christ. If we keep getting all these different theological views, it would hinder. And the leaders were strong enough in their faith to discern and to deny help from people that could hurt them. Y'all get that? Yeah, they, they, they were solid enough in their faith to discern this ain't right and to deny you can have no part. They said you may have no part in this work. And, and, and that's how they responded. They said you can't have no part in this work. Now, how did the enemies respond? They were offended. They were offended because their efforts to help per se were rejected. They were told no. And think about that for a minute. They, they, were, they were told no. Now, how do we respond when we're told no? When we try to do something and somebody rejects it, says, no, I don't want it, especially when our heart was set on yes. That's real. I've been there. You know, you, you, you set on yes and you get no. How do we, how do we respond when, when we're rejected? And the enemies, what they did was they, they sought revenge. They were offended. They sought revenge because that's exactly they, they weren't actually for their good anyway. What, what they were about actually came out. Right. And their enemies did everything they could to discourage. We saw that in the passage. Right. To discourage, to frighten and frustrate the work. That's what the text says. That's what they did. The enemies did everything they could to discourage, to frighten and frustrate the work. It says frustrate the plans. That's what they did. Yeah. Those particular emotions, y'all. Those are real. We all going to deal with it. We all going to deal with discouragement. 
We all going to deal with fear. We all going to deal with frustration. But those emotions uncontrolled become enemies to God's work. Y'all feel me? When, when, when our discouragement and when our fear and when our frustration is not controlled, it becomes an enemy to God's work. And here is a ball. He's trying to lead a group of people who are dealing with discouragement, fear, and frustration. And, and I was imagining, imagining, uh, what if it's not just in one person? What if that's three different people? You got the discouraged person. You got the fearful person. You got the frustrated person. All talking about working on the house of God. And here he is trying to lead every person, lead every person, lead, without allowing those same emotions to get in him. But they ended up getting in him anyway. And he's trying to lead these folks to rebuild. And historians say that eventually these emotions made them quit. They, they quit working on God's house. Guess how long? 15 years. The work stopped for 15 years. 15 years of disobedience. It's sin. 15 years. And, and God didn't tell them to stop. The enemies without and the enemies within told them to stop. 15 years. No work on, on God's house. But what about us? What about us? How many times have we let the same emotions make us, to, make us be disobedient? How, how many times have we allowed discouragement, fear, and frustration to cause us to stop? How long? How long? How, how long? You feel me, Charles? How long? How, how long? How, how, how long? The difference between the children of Israel, the difference between the children of Israel faith, and the difference between us is we're able to hide our disobedience easier. That, that's the only difference, is that we can hide our disobedience a lot easier than them, at least for a while. At least for a while, uh, uh, yeah, until enough time and suffering exposes it. We can hide our disobedience a lot easier until enough time and suffering exposes it. And we might not admit it out loud. We might not admit it out loud, uh, but can we just talk to ourselves and talk to God? I'm serious. And just think about, man, what are some things we have stopped working on for God? What are some of the things that we've stopped working on? Because I think that some of us have stopped working. Yeah, Stop working on sharing our faith with family and friends. Stop working on inviting people to church. Stop working on caring about the living word like we used to. Stop working on building ourselves regularly as the living temples of God. Stop working on prayer. Stop working on studying God's word. Stop working on growing spiritually, whatever, whatever that looks like. And for whatever reason, stop. <laughs> and who'd blame us? It's the perfect time to quit. Yeah, who, who blame us? This is the perfect time to quit. Y'all know I like, I like research. I like to study. Well, I don't really like research. I like, I like when research kind of appears. I hate doing the research. Uh, but let me just let y'all in on something. Uh, June 5th, 2021, uh, Business Insider, it, it reported that, over, that all over the nation there was a trend of something called rage quitting. Y'all heard the word rage, R-A-G-E. There's a trend all over the nation. 
rage. Y'all know what rage is, right? You mad, you angry. Rage, quitting. People enrage and they quit. June uh, 9th, 2021, CNBC. Y'all ever heard of them? CNBC, everybody heard that? They reported that over 4 million people quit their jobs in April. June 26, 2021, CNN reported uh, that there are people who are walking out in the middle of their shift. All over the nation, been going on, right? And most of these reports uh, said because workers felt that their work conditions were unfair. Because a lot of them were dealing with not fair, they weren't getting fair wages. They weren't getting fair, they were overworked. But I'd also argue that that wasn't the case for everybody. That wasn't the case for everybody. But I would argue that this, uh, that I would suggest that behaviors are trendy. There are behaviors that are also trendy. Yeah. People see enough behaviors, they pick up the behaviors as well. There are trendy behaviors. And, and, and not finishing is a trendy behavior. It is. It's a trendy behavior not to finish stuff. And, and as a man, as a Christian uh, especially, I don't want to have a lifestyle of not finishing, Mike. I, I don't want to develop a culture within myself of not, of not finishing because I don't want to create a reputation of being unreliable, untrustworthy, because that mindset will get in right? and will quit whenever our work is met with opposition. If that mindset gets seen every time we have opposition, that's what they dealt with was opposition. We'll quit. Uh, last week I was on the phone sharing this with Lauren. There's a guy named uh, Pastor Wade Bryant. Uh, he's pastoring Monumental Baptist Church off South Parkway, down the street from St. Andrew. Uh, it's a historical church. It's a revolutionary church. Uh, Pastor Billy Kyle's used to be over it. Uh, you, you know, it's just like, man, we're talking, talking about civil rights church. And this man was on the phone, and he, he, he said, man, Vince, good to see you, man. Good, 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 good to talk to you. I just love you, man. You know, you're doing a great job. Hey, talk to me. He said, man, I just want to encourage you, man. How you doing? What's, what's going on with you? And it's so funny. Listen, he's such a real, he, he talked like a gangster. <laughs> That's how he talk. Yeah, man, I, I, you know, I slapped somebody. That's how he sound. And I just, I love, never real. I wouldn't mess with him in the street if he wasn't saved. You know, he, he looked like a quick carrier switchblade or something. Uh, but Pat, seriously, but Pastor Wade Bryant, he talking to me, man. And he, he, we were talking about the anniversary of the, of the church. Mike and, and, and look, he said, "Man, this is." He said, "Man, that's exciting." He said, "That's exciting. It's exciting time. Exciting time." <laughs> and I said, "Man, I think people uh, who who were not a part of the church are more excited than me." And this is what he said. He, he said, "Man, most of your pastorate, Vincent, has been during the pandemic." He said, "This would have been the perfect time to quit. Who'd blame you?" But to keep going has shown what you're made of. He said, man, this be the perfect time to quit. Who blame you? He said, but to keep going has shown what you're made of. Man, what are we made of? When met with opposition, man, what are we made of, Amir? What, what are we what are we made of? What what are we as a church made of? Our faith in Christ doesn't mean we ain't going to get tired. It don't mean we're not going to get angry. It doesn't mean we're not going to get sad. But what are we made of? Because discouragement, fear and frustration are going to oppose us. They're going to oppose us.
Let me ask y'all this. Or, or it's kind of rhetorical per se, but did you know that God loves us too much to let us stay stagnant? When, when we stop moving and we just get set in our way, do you know that God loves us? He loves us too much, Mariah, to allow us to stay there in that mindset. He loves us too much to stay set in sin. He, he loves us too much, and he will always provide a word of correction and encouragement. That's grace. God loves us too much, Amir, to allow us to remain discouraged, frightened, and frustrated because of ourselves. And he will always provide a word of correction and encouragement. And they usually come at the same time. This is what happened with the people of Israel that we're reading about in Ezra. The prophet Haggai came with a word of correction and encouragement for the people. And this is what it says in Haggai chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 4 through 14. Now, Fred, read, he read some of it, but I'm going to read some more of it to you. He says, he says this to them. He's talking to them. He, this, is, this is the Lord speaking to the people through Haggai. Haggai 1. 4 through 14, New Living Translation says this. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruin? He says, this is what the Lord of heaven says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You're doing a whole lot, but you ain't getting nothing back. That's what he's saying. He said, you eat, but you ain't satisfied. You know, it's not, but I'm going to say ain't. You're not satisfied. He said, you drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages, he's talking about that money. Your wages disappear as though you're putting them in pockets filled with holes. He says, this is what the Lord of the army says. He says, look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. He's like, he's like, he's like, get back to work, y'all. Rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Verse 9. He says, you hoped in riches. You hoped in rich harvest, but they are poor. What you got, they're poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Every time you brought your wages home, every time you brought your harvest home, he says, I blew it away. He says, I blew it away because you ain't took care of the house. He says, why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of armies. While all of you are busy building your fine houses, verse 10, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crop. Verse 11, I have called for a drought. This is what the Lord is doing because of their sin, because they're not doing nothing. Because of these 15 years, these 15 years, they have not prospered because they've worked on their own stuff. They own, he says, man, look, they weren't being blessed in their personal and professional lives because they stopped working on God's business. They stopped working on God's house. He says, man. There's a drought to starve you. Your livestock and everything is ruined. Here's what verse 12 says. All those names, Rubel, Sheatel, uh, Jeshua, the high priest. It says the whole remnant of God's people in verse 4, uh, 12 began to obey the message from the Lord their God. That's repentance. When they heard the word of correction, when they heard the word of correction, this is the word of correction. When they heard the word of correction, it says they began to obey the message of the Lord. And when they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord, they, uh, their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. 
Yeah, that means they that means that that fear they had towards man, they shut that off. Now they're fearing the Lord. They have reverence to the Lord more than they have fear for man. Verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you. Says the Lord. Word of correction. But then he gives them a word of encouragement. He says, I am with you, says the Lord. And I want you all to know this. God is always present, but he isn't always with us. That's heavy right there. God always present, but he ain't always with us. There's some stuff we done did. He ain't with that. He ain't with that. You can't tell me he with everything we done did. Take, 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 take an inventory over your life. What you done said, what you done thought, who you done called, what you done text, where places you done go, you feel what I'm saying? plans you done made. Yeah, God always present, but he ain't always with us. That's that old school preaching right there. Always present. All, he ain't always with us. Huh? No, no. Yeah. yeah. And, and when they heard that God said, I am with you, they knew that the favor of the Lord had returned on them, Jonathan. When they obeyed, they heard that word. God says, I'm with you. They knew that the favor of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord had returned on them. See, the blessing left because they were in sin. But once they repented, the blessing returned for it. In verse, uh, the, the last verse in verse 14 says this. So the Lord sparked enthusiasm in them. They, they began to get excited again about the work of the Lord. It says, enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Sheetel, governor, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Zediak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of the heavens. The enthusiasm came back because they repented. Let me tell you something about the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation always tells us to run from God. Condemnation says we ain't, we ain't about nothing, that, that our calling ain't about nothing. That man, that, that we start thinking everybody know our business. We start feeling bad. We have a pity party. That's condemnation. Conviction always drives us to him. Conviction always drives us to the love of God and to the love of God's people. Do you know on one or more occasion Jesus had to deal with the same thing? Yeah, the, the, the same feelings, the same emotions. He still Jesus had to deal with discouragement. He had to deal with fear. He had to deal with frustration. He had to deal with discouragement when his cousin John was murdered in prison. He had to deal with discouragement when his when his friend Lazarus died. And he knew he had to stay away. And when he gets there, Martha blames him, Jonathan. Where you been? If you had been here quickly, if you had come sooner, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You feel me? That's discouragement. And then the, the most famous text says, and Jesus wept. He wept because he was discouraged. But then what about frustration? You, you got Judas who betrays him for money. And then you got Peter who denies him publicly after three years. That's frustration. But then fear. He is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, Lord, if if this cup can pass, if the crucifixion can pass, if I don't have to go to where the cross, Lord God, please take this cup away. And then he says, nevertheless, that's King James. Not my will, but thy will be done. Nevertheless, of this discouragement, nevertheless, 
this frustration. Nevertheless, this fear, thy will be done. And that's what he did. Thy will be done. And I would ask us, what do we need to finish individually? And what do we need to finish corporately for the glory of God? Because there's work for us to do. I'll end with this. John 17, 4, Jesus says this. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. See, when we finish the work, it gives God glory. Jesus said, I, I've given you glory by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus gives us a picture of not allowing anything to stop us from finishing the work. And my hope is that we'll do that, that we will glorify God by finishing the work he's given us to do. Now, at this time, I just want you to think, I just, just, I, you know, we're going to go to communion, but I just want us to just, just spend some time with the Lord. Just think about that thing. Think about what work, what, what work has he given me to do? I need to either finish or start. What work do I need to return to? Or what work do I need to start for God's glory? I'm serious. Because we got work to do. And he'll empower us to do it. Let me, let me, let me tell you all this. The people were being accused. They were having these accusations come. I didn't read the, the middle passages uh, after verse 5. I didn't read 6 all the way down to uh, verse 23. I jumped down to 24. But these people had accusations against them. Yeah. They had accusations. They were being attacked. They were being ridiculed. They were being talked about about what they were doing. And they forgot the decree that God had given King Cyrus, that the decree could never be changed. And they stopped working because of what folk were saying, how they, how they were feeling. But we got to remember the decree that the Lord has given us. We got to remember that our names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Ain't nothing going to change that. Ain't, your, your worst day will not take that away, Jonathan. My worst day will not uh, undo. Now, it can make me ineffective. But it won't undo what God has called me to. I'll be ineffective. I won't have a, a life that's fulfilling. I will be miserable. But he ain't taking away the gift that he gives you. He's not taking away the assignment either. Get to work. God, I ask that you would help us today and every other day, Lord God, to finish the work that you've given us to do so we can glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.